You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, one of the most famous logos in the world is a very simple one, the logo for Apple. But how did the famous logo end up with a bite taken out of it? We'll dive into the legends and myths and sort out the truth. Some of us are heroes in a more traditional way, like we save a puppy from a burning building or we rescue someone from drowning in a swimming pool. And then some of us are like Roger Anderson, and we go after the telemarketers. Would you sacrifice your relationships online for a free burger? Well, in 2009, Burger King decided to find out. I have and I would. (laughs) I have and I will again. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So Dave, uh, in the grand scheme of things, have you ever run into a situation where maybe there was a problem or something that you were trying to figure out and the solution or just the answer seemed like it was going to be so complicated, but it ended up just being very, very simple once you finally got around to solving it? Yeah, you know what I do a lot, and I've had really good success with this, is something will happen. So like a couple years ago, my lawnmower broke, and you know I am not a super handy person. Uh, and I went, to, I went to YouTube, though, and there was a guy rebuilding my specific old version of a lawnmower, and he just showed me how to fix it. Yeah, you think about like uh, just the kind of the general joke of the internet that if you have something that's, you have a problem, something you need to fix, there's always a guy who's answered your specific problem on a message board like 12 years ago that can still solve your problem. Like I was so proud of myself when I fixed that lawnmower, and I'm still proud of myself today. Well, Dave, in this segment, we're going to analyze one of the most famous logos in the world, the Apple logo, and we'll be asking a very specific question. Why does the Apple have a bite taken out of it? Now, Dave, for years, there have been a lot of theories and urban legends that have grown up around this question. And while they may seem extremely deep and interesting, the real explanation may be a little bit more simple than you might expect. So let's go back to 1954. In that year, one of the most brilliant minds of the last century died, a scientist and mathematician named Alan Turing. Turing died when he actually bit into an apple laced with cyanide. And while this has long been assumed to be a suicide, the story is much more complicated. Turing had been forced by the British government to be chemically castrated after he admitted to having a sexual relationship with a man, which was against the law at the time. Some have speculated that this could have driven Turing to suicide, and others have suggested that the British government considered him to be such a high security risk due to his depth of knowledge of British intelligence that they actually played a role in his death. So now, jumping ahead a few decades, when the newly created Apple needed a logo, they paid homage to Turing's countless contributions to computers and code and decided to remove a single bite from their Apple logo to honor him and ta-da, the famous logo was born. And well, Dave, that would be a really cool story if it was anything more than that, just a story. Although this legend has circulated for decades, it just simply isn't true. In 2009, Rob Janoff was asked about this story and said, I'm afraid it didn't have a thing to do with it. It's a wonderful urban legend. 
Actor Stephen Fry even asked Steve Jobs about the logo being tied to Turing, to which Jobs simply replied, God, I wish it were true. Other theories persist too, Dave, such as the bite of the apple is a reference to Sir Isaac Newton and his famous discovery of gravity, a story that is steeped in urban legend as well, and you'd be disappointed to know that this isn't the case either. Another popular theory is that the bite symbolizes the discovery of knowledge, linking back to the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. According to this interpretation, taking a bite out of an apple represents the acquisition of knowledge and the pursuit of creativity. But alas, Dave, this story is also just another urban legend. And while all these stories are fascinating in their own right, this question, why does the Apple logo have a bite in it, actually does have a real answer. It just isn't very exciting. The single bite actually serves the simple purpose of showing the customer that the logo is in fact an apple and not a peach or a cherry or other fruit that is round. The early founders of the company needed the logo to be very clearly an apple, and so the simple bite was added, and the rest is history. And while that explanation may not be very exciting, sometimes, really a lot of the time, urban legends like this are debunked in this way, but something kind of meh, and ultimately something that is true. So, Jay, there is a website called 99designs where you can pay a creative from all over the world to create something for you, like a logo, a website, a book cover, whatever. Just create a design for whatever your project may be. And they have a list that they recently released of uh, the most famous and iconic logos in the world. And so, no surprise, what you just talked about, Apple, comes in on the list at number five. Now, number one on the list, which I don't think you would dispute, some people would say could be like Coca-Cola or McDonald's, is Nike. So Nike, a very recognizable logo. But number two, I have a real issue with. Okay, number two, <laughs> Chanel. Can you even, isn't, do you even isn't know what logo, it is? Doesn't, doesn't their logo just say Chanel? Exactly. Like, you don't know what it is. Chanel's logo, it's a C with another C, and they're like backwards. They, like they, they face away from each other. I didn't even know what it was. Maybe we're maybe too we're poor. Just, I was about to say, maybe we're just showing our hand that we're not wealthy. <laughs> okay, Jake, so walk me through what you would do in these scenarios. Okay, you ready? Very okay. simple, very simple. I'm ready. Okay, number one, you get a call, like from me, and you, and now don't say you send me the voicemail. Okay, so you get a call from me. It comes through. <laughs> you see the name on the phone. What do you do? Well, first of all, you would not be surprised to know that my voicemail is full, so I cannot send you the voicemail. <laughs> it's been full for about two years. <laughs> I mean, I would just answer it if it was your name. Answer yeah. it. Okay. Yep, yep. Friend calls you, you answer it. Okay, now number two. Okay, now you get a call, not from a friend, but from a place that you are familiar with. Okay, so let's just say doctor's office. So you know they're going to call you, you're expecting it, they call you. Now some people would send this call to voicemail and then call them back. Would you answer it though, pretend like your voicemail is not full, would you send it to voicemail or would you answer it if it was your doctor's office? And and it's not like life-threatening news, they're just calling you about the Yeah, I mean I'm a little annoyed because I know it's going to take some time, but I'm going to answer it because I'm going to have to deal with it at some point. I can't just keep kicking the can down the road. So how about this? A number that you do not have and do not know. Zero chance I'm going to answer it. Uh, zero chance. Yeah, it's they. If they need me that bad, they can figure out a way to get a hold of me. Well, Jay, I don't think it'll surprise you that myself and mostly everybody would answer that question in the same way. 
The reason for this, as you say, is that it's a guarantee to be annoying in this world. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, they need you badly, they can, get, they can find a way to get a hold of you without calling you from a number that you don't know. Because most likely, that number that you don't know is probably a telemarketer. And that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is it's a telemarketer who's actually working for a scam company trying to get a hold of your bank account and or credit cards. Like some days, this becomes relentless, right? Like I'll have anywhere from five to ten of these scam calls come my way in a single week. And in fact, some surveys report people getting up to 15 scam calls per week. The question has always been, though, what, if anything, can any of us do about it? Well, up until now, outside of ignoring them or talking to them, maybe just for fun, if that's the kind of person you are, the answer has been, you can't do much. But a California entrepreneur named Roger Anderson is trying to change all of that. And Jay Anderson is doing this by offering subscription-based access to what he calls Jolly Roger, an artificial intelligence, or AI, powered call deflection system that does the dirty work for you by turning the telemarketing game on its head. Anderson's technology process looks like this. By giving Jolly Roger subscribers access to an AI-powered digital contraption, voice. It basically functions as an assistant for you, someone that can take the call on your behalf. And Jay, the assistant's job is simple, to torture the person on the other side of the line into complete and utter submission. (laughs) So, let's run through a little scenario Please so I can tell better me more. explain how it works. I will. So, Jay, a call comes in, and usually these kinds of calls have an automated voice at first, and so you send it to your digital assistant, someone like the popular persona, an old cranky man named Whitebeard. So, Whitebeard can take the call for you, and then Whitebeard goes to work. Stalling for some time at the beginning of the conversation Whitebeard will use the limited data from that opening telemarketer ask. Okay, so things like, I'm calling today, Jay, to talk about a situation with your credit card. He'll use that and plug it into the open artificial intelligence resource we've discussed before on the show, ChatGPT, to generate limitless possible responses. The caller, which has now transitioned to an actual person at a call center, will start talking. They'll ask about changes to your personal information, or they'll bring up an issue with your account. It's at this point that Whitebeard showcases his power. Huh? Hello? I can't hear you. Oh, maybe my TV's too loud. Can you help me figure out how to turn down the volume (laughs) on my TV? Well, while I'm doing that, how are you doing today, by the way? And Jay, as you can imagine, the panic and frustration on the telemarketer side, it just explodes as they totally lose control of the conversation. <laughs> and Whitebeard, who is just one persona that you can get, is voiced by Roger Anderson's real-life buddy, Sid Berkson, a Vermont dairy farmer by day. And it's the result of nearly a decade of work by Anderson, all focused on turning the tables on the intrusive and often financially abusive scam callers. And Jay, I think a lot of people have been looking for a service like this. Complaints about unwanted calls are nothing new. And if you think they've only gotten worse lately, you'd be right, they have. Automated dialers used in call centers can call up to, get this, 100 numbers per second. 
utilizing voice modulators to remove any foreign accents as well. Isaac Scholes, the chief product officer at Contact Center Compliance, told the Wall Street Journal. And according to the Federal Communications Commission, unwanted calls remain far and away the leading complaint that they receive. And Jay, for only about $25, Jolly Roger could serve you. Aside from Whitebeard, there are other personalities to choose from. Folks like Salty Sally, the overworked and overstressed mother. Or Whiskey Jack, whose attention trails off every couple of seconds. And Anderson's best marketing for this service is to simply post videos or audio clips of it in action. Some of the chatbot assistants have even kept telemarketers on the phone talking in circles, get this Jay, for 15 minutes, <laughs> saying things like, hey, I-, I think I have a bee on my arm. There's a bee in my house, but keep talking. I'm listening to you. And yeah, I have my credit card number right here, but I'll tell you what, I'll just start saying numbers and you see if you can figure it out. <laughs> Hey, I'm all about paying $25 out of pure spite. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. So, Dave, uh, we've been on the internet since pretty much the beginning, uh, the beginning of social media. We were both on MySpace and early Facebook and all of that. We kind of were born at the right time to hit all that. Did you ever experience any online drama that maybe bled into your personal relationships or end up with any fractured relationships from anything that's happened over social media? Well, the drama that used to play out over MySpace, is, it was incredible. Because yeah. as we've talked about before, and if you had a MySpace account yourself, you know that a feature of MySpace was the top eight. You ranked your friends. You actually ranked your friends for the world to see. And then you, you shifted it. You changed it. So you didn't just leave people in those positions if, like, yeah, I don't know, I haven't seen Jay in a while. I'm going to move him from two to four. Yeah, the generations of today could not handle the responsibility <laughs> of ranking your friends. The, <laughs> no. the kids today are so obsessive over <laughs> social media and, like, how their profiles come off and how their friends' profiles come off. And then literally MySpace was having us rank our friends in public where everyone could see it. It's just, it's a level of power that you can't be trusted with today on social media. Yeah, if you woke up one day and your girlfriend had completely taken you off of the top eight, it was over. Yeah, you knew it was over. You knew something had happened. She'd gone to the beach and she'd met a guy and it's done. And you didn't have a cell phone, so you didn't know until you got home from school and you booted up the computer and then you'd see, be like, wait, what happened? I thought (laughs) I was number one, now I'm number six or whatever. (laughs) Well, Dave, we're going to talk about just that. We're going to talk about a viral marketing campaign from the year 2009. And uh, you and I love talking about viral marketing campaigns. We've talked about a few on this show before, like the Taco Liberty Bell campaign comes to mind that we talked about a few months ago. And today we're going to be talking about Burger King, which is a place that kind of comes up a lot on this show because, you know, I was employed there in high school and I'll have a lot of party stories that have come out of that time. But you one time cleaned up mom and <laughs> in a hazmat suit. I mean, hey. uh, they, we could be here for hours if I told you all the stories. But we're going to talk about what has been dubbed the Whopper Sacrifice campaign. So Dave, the Whopper sacrifice campaign was launched by Burger King in 2009 with a bold and controversial premise. Customers were offered a free Whopper burger in exchange for deleting 10 friends from their Facebook list. 
This campaign not only achieved really remarkable success, but it also captured the attention of a lot of people. It kind of tapped into this key aspect of human psychology in a way, like the need for social connection. The Whopper Sacrifice campaign struck a chord with the target audience. It kind of played on the fear of missing out and the desire for inclusion and drove people kind of in a way to question the value of their online friendships in exchange for an actual tangible reward. The tagline is even great, Dave. Friendship is strong, but the Whopper is stronger. And what made this campaign truly fascinating was its blend of technology and social psychology and then just this promise of a free burger. For the time, it really pushed the boundaries of traditional marketing by leveraging the power of social media, which was still pretty fresh at this point, and tapping into the emerging cultural phenomenon of Facebook. Remember, this was 2009. Burger King created a truly attention-grabbing and conversation-starting campaign because, Dave, it worked. After the launch of the campaign, Facebook was installed nearly 60,000 times, nearly 20,000 Whopper coupons were sent out, and over 200,000 Facebook friends had been deleted. The Whopper Sacrifice campaign's success can be attributed to its element of surprise and controversy. Burger King kind of challenged the conventions of what is considered acceptable behavior by asking people to delete friends on social media. This was a pretty bold move, and it generated a lot of buzz and media coverage, but also some widespread curiosity. The campaign kind of sparked debates about the ethics of social media, too, and the value of virtual connections and the influence of brands on our online interactions. It kind of made people reflect on the meaning and the depth of their online relationships going beyond the promotion itself. Like, why am I friends with this person to begin with? Matthew Walsh, the head of the design department and the ad agency Crispin Porter and Boguski, who created the campaign for Burger King, actually spoke to this in 2009, saying, For so long, friendship in the social space has kind of been a form of social currency. Social Network's entire system is kind of dependent on you aggregating as many of your friends as possible in the network, ballooning as quickly as possible. But at the end of the day, that's all fine and good in the ramp up when everything is novel. Quite a few years into the social networking arena now, there's really a question of what is friendship in the 2.0 world. Now, Dave, Facebook actually had to shut down the campaign after 10 days, claiming that it was a violation of user privacy because, get this, the Whopper sacrifice actually notified friends if they had been deleted. <laughs> but ironically, no. this led to even more buzz for the campaign because, Could I mean... Could there be anything worse? <laughs> like, this person cares more about a free Whopper than you as a human. Well, it's not That's even basically that. basically what you're saying. It's that they care about one-tenth of a free Whopper. <laughs> it's not even for the full thing. <laughs> so analyzing why this worked is fascinating to me. The Whopper Sacrifice campaign cleverly employed the concept of scarcity, a powerful psychological trigger, as we know. By offering a limited-time opportunity for a free Whopper, Burger King created a sense of urgency. People felt compelled to act quickly and delete those friends right now. Now, you know we love to analyze clever marketing campaigns that catch fire on this podcast. And to me, Dave, I just love this one. It's the perfect mix of weirdness and humor that I love, and it just worked. That's, that's one of my favorite things you've ever told me about. Like <laughs> one of my favorite segments I think you've ever done. That's incredible. We should, make, just incredible. We should both make lists. Now, we won't share them, but let's send them <laughs> privately to each other. Of, of what who tins, we would get yeah, rid of. What tin would you get rid of for the free Whopper? Now, another campaign uh, that failed miserably, and Burger King is on this list. This is the worst marketing campaigns that have ever been run. This one revolves around Dove. 
And so Dove, the uh, women's-based company, uh, they have men's stuff as well, but mostly known for women's lotions and body washes and shampoos and things like that. So Dove ran a campaign trying to promote body positivity by changing the shapes of the bottles to reflect different body sizes. (laughs) So you've got very tall and skinny. You've got very short and fat. And so they just filled up the aisles with these randomly, these different body sizes. Obviously, need I explain, failed miserably. No one's buying the short and fat bottles of Dove. Uh, everyone went for the tall and skinny. Yeah, you got to wonder, like, who's in the room, you know, when they're making the, just these decisions, like the group think that occurs. Like, this is the greatest idea I've ever heard. But then in hindsight, you're like, what <laughs> in the world were they thinking? Now, um, going back to your first segment, when you were talking about things that were... Uh, that you thought were going to be hard, but they ended up being easier. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the reverse of that. Okay. Something that every time I think is going to be easy, but it's always way harder. Putting together IKEA things. <laughs> so well, I've, I've famously built multiple pieces of furniture for you in your home from IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> it's so so hard. There's no words. If you've well, never done no words, it, I mean, it's there's, frustrating. there's no words. It's uh, <laughs> it's just pictures of this little guy. I've gotten rid of them now, but I used to have at least three things that were put together horribly wrong that just sat in my garage, like they were unusable, and it was just, it's like a reverse trophy. It reminds you of your failures every time you look at it. There is a bookshelf famously in your living room that you had lived at one house, and you had tried to put it together, and you got so frustrated that you threw it all in your garage, and then we tried to convince you to throw it out before you moved to your new house, but you didn't. You took all of the pieces with you, and you built it in your new house. And now it sits in your new house. And it so works. I think that that's, a, yeah. that's a good shrine to your uh, ability to persevere. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and you can mute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Trump. We'll see you next week. Okay. <clears throat> All right, cool. Got to get some got to get hydrated. Hold on. <laughs> Have you are you familiar with uh I think it's called ASMR maybe? It's this thing where people listen to other people like eat food. There's like this like the sounds are like it would be like someone chewing gum. It's like but they don't like but it. But th- no, it's like it's a it's a thing people listen to. So it's like the audio of people eating or drinking things. No, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's before. weird. People do weird things. But uh, <laughs> you you taking that huge swig from that water bottle was very ASMR-ish. Well, maybe that could be my new thing. <laughs>